this is Dan Qualiana, Head of Global Developer Relations at Zebra Technologies. I want to welcome you to this month's Zebra Developer Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Jolly. Hey, Dan. And we have the honor of having James Morley-Smith, who is the Global Director of User Experience at Zebra. Welcome, James. Hi, Dan. Hi, Mark. Excellent. So user experience and user interface are terms that we hear all the time now in the software landscape. Um, design is such a big aspect of the way that people are engaging with the world through mobility and everything. And we really kind of, in this discussion, you know, talking through user experience, we wanted to really just start at the beginning. How do you define user experience and user interface? And the reason we wanted to start here was you know, we really want to help people understand the real basics before we start diving into, you know, as you're building out software and as you're looking even in enterprise software, what those specifics are. So just kind of basics. How do you define UI and UX? Right. So let's, let's start. Let's start at the beginning. So, you know, it's not unusual for people to confuse the two together. UI, UX, they tend to be said together. And, and I think the reason for that is that um, the user experience discipline um, kind of uh, started, came, uh, exploded at the same time as the, uh, as the tech industry started to really um, make some strides forward. And so the, the connection between um, user experience and the tech world and therefore user interfaces become one, but they are different. And I'll try and explain this by uh, stepping completely away from the tech world and, um, and using a couple of examples that, to be honest with you, I've taken from online. These are great examples online, so why not use them? Um, we talk about a nice healthy breakfast. Uh, if we think about the, the, the fruit, the banana and the pineapple, the two of them have a user experience, but the, the banana has a great user experience. Uh, think about the way you interact with that. First of all, it has its own handy jacket, so you can pocket it, you can hold it, it stays fresh, it stays clean. Um, you don't have to worry about washing it. It also um, has a great way of telling you when it's good to eat. It's green when it's not ready to eat, and it's brown or black when it's too ripe and therefore not, you know, not good to eat at that point. And it's a nice yellow color when it's time for you to eat it. So you know exactly when to eat that banana. And then the great thing is it's got a little handle that you could open it up, peel it, and it's ready to eat, and it tastes great. Then you think about the pineapple. Now, don't get me wrong, they taste great, but they're horrible to hold. You'll prick your hands, which is not a, not a very comfortable experience. And then they're an absolute brute to get into. You know, do you snap the top off? Do you get a knife to it? Who knows? It's not a great user experience. So that's, that's the two fruits. It explains two, a good and a bad user experience. Now, your other part to your healthy breakfast is a bowl of cereal. The, the, the bowl of cereal itself with the milk and the, 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 you know, the, uh, the cereal inside it, um, that is the product. The experience is the delight you have when you eat it, but the interface is the spoon. Okay, So you've got the user experience, you've got the product, and then the spoon is the way that you are going to interface with that product. So, that's a simple way of explaining what a user experience is versus a user interface using non-tech. And I guess if you were to use a fork, for instance, instead of a spoon, 
you would have a bad user experience and you'd have a bad user interface by using the fork as a spoon. That's a great example, Mark. You know, the fork would be a way of eating it, but you're not going to get much of the milk. So you're not going to get the full enjoyment of the product. So therefore, the experience is diminished. Um, you know, if we talk about uh, user experience and, and what makes up a user experience or how do you, you, know, how do you go about building one, um, there's several stages you can go through. You know, user experience is about that flow, the system, and the feeling of, of a product. And the way you go about designing that is you have to first of all consider um, the, the strategy and the content, uh, which will require you to think about competitive analysis, customer analysis, uh, the, the structure of the product, and, um, and then the, the development of the content, what's going to be within that product. You might then move into um, a prototyping stage using wireframing, uh, testing and iteration to, um, to, to, to form what that product might look like. And this is, this is where um, it's important to then work with other groups like marketing, etc., to make sure that all of the right features set is in there. And then finally, execution, working with designers to create that user interface, because the likelihood is the way you're going to realize that experience is through some form of interface, certainly in the tech world anyway. Um, and then obviously with the developers as well, you need to interface with the developers and constantly work together to make sure that that ultimate experience is created. And then finally at the end, you're going through the constant iteration and improvement process that you'd expect from any good product. Excellent. So, I mean, you did kind of walk through a little bit of just the overview of the user experience. Are there any other kind of best practices that you would want to highlight in terms of you know, that user experience and as people are trying to build that out? Yeah. Um, you know, it sounds obvious, but uh, because it's in the name, but you really have to think about the users. The user is the center of everything around a good user experience. Like I say, it sounds obvious. We spend a lot of time researching. Uh, we, we will go and ride along with, with delivery drivers. We'll go and sit and observe nurses. We'll, we'll actually try and do that job. I love to bring this up. Uh, like maybe two years ago now, I was a, um, a trash collector for the day, a dustbin man in the UK for the day, actually uh, hauling bins around and dumping them into the back of a truck, which is a great experience you know, from a childhood experience you definitely want to do that but I'll tell you you only want to do it for a day however doing that actually being with that user and seeing what the hurdles they, they face what kind of clothing they have to wear um, how hot or cold they get you know what they're handling gives you a great insight that you probably wouldn't realize if you hadn't done that job you know, you know what kind of technology can they have on them can they be holding how will that interfere with their job what kind of things do they do? Who are they interacting with? Who are they talking to? How do they interact with their customers? What kind of metrics to, is important to them? These only come when you fully understand and appreciate that user. Um, so yeah, research, research, user research is so important. Collaboration is another, another area that I think is important. Working with multi, a multidiscipline team and collaborating with them gives you different perspectives. You know, I'm, I'm a techie, I'm from a tech world, so I'll have that kind of mindset. Um, I also have a, a design mindset, so that gives me one leaning. But why not work with someone from marketing? Why not work with a developer as well in a small, tight group, iterating fast, doing 
fast prototypes, which could be as simple as just a piece of paper, or maybe a little bit more, as, you know, if you've got something focused, maybe you'll start to iterate and get an Arduino board and hack something together. But fast, like five days at a time, to solve problems and say, is this working, before diving in and committing to a product. You know, these, these are really important, and let's face it, fun parts of actually a product design and development process. Uh, and it doesn't matter where you are. This, this, if you're really early in the process, it's a brand new product, then you've got a green field and you can test there. But if you're later on, this is a you know, well-established, mature product, you can still say, look, we've got a feature that we're not sure about or we want to develop further. You can do rapid, you know, deep prototyping on that area and see how can we really improve this product by testing it directly with customers um, using a prototype or something along those lines. Okay, so we've talked about UX and I think the example of doing your drive along, um, I've done similar um, postal. Um, even when I was out with a guy and he was wearing gloves when it was cold and the example of a user interface was there. He couldn't use his um, application because his glove was too big for the, for the area to go on, um, on the screen. So what about UI and best practice along that, that track, James? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting example. And one that we, that we focus on a lot, gloved users, is, comes up all the time in enterprise. Um, you know, I'm going to say it again. It's in the name, users. Users, you've got to think about those users. And exactly what you described there is a perfect example of, of, of thinking about the, the way in which that user is different from what you might be. Now, um, it's important to remember that most of us now have got some kind of consumer device that, that we interact with on a daily basis um, you know, throughout the day. And so we're very familiar with those, those interfaces. We're familiar with the kind of paradigms that they've been set up um, through Google's material design uh, to Apple's uh, design system and so on. We're very familiar with those, so we want to make sure that we keep those cues available. That's important for us to learn and, and have those available for the users. But we need to adapt those. Now, at Zebra, we take what you described, Mark, um, and consider that from a user perspective, and we call it um, something called situational disabilities. What does that mean? If you think about someone in a warehouse, for example, they are faced with multiple... Um, multiple impairments at any one time. You talked about gloves. Those gloved users could also be wearing a big coat you know, or some kind of protective glasses. They're physically impaired as a result of that. So think about them from a physical impairment perspective. Warehouses are often noisy as well. You know, there's lots of machinery going on. There's probably air conditioning blowing. There is uh, forklift trucks driving around. There's a very noisy environment, so they're hearing impaired. Then on top of that, the lighting is either super bright or very dim. It's never perfect, I can guarantee you that. Um, they're also, like I said, probably wearing some kind of eye protection. So they're visually impaired. Combine all these three together, maybe with other impairments as well, maybe they're under stress so they might be mentally impaired. They've got multiple disabilities at any one time because of the situation they're in, situational disabilities. Um, so we feel that it's our responsibility as designers to create an interface for them that, um, that helps them overcome these impairments, leaning on accessible design for people with permanent disabilities, 
uh, as, a, um, as a way of, of helping them overcome that. So we combine all these things together, you know, uh, things like high contrast ratio, it sounds simple, but increase the contrast ratio between uh, elements or text and background, and that makes it very easy to quickly pull out one item from another. Um, it reduces eye strain, makes it easier to read it at a distance or in motion. Uh, we, to overcome the gloved users, we will increase the hit zone on buttons, for example, so the bigger buttons. Uh, they don't look weird. We try, like I said, go back to what I said earlier. We're trying to make it very similar to material design. Most of our stuff is based on Android, so material design. But using those accessible cues to create something that uh, helps people overcome those situational disabilities. James, this is really, really interesting. And I, I think, you know, a lot of developers have a technical approach, right? They're, they're looking at how do I best build this app through the technical lens and really having the user lens is so critical. There was a talk I, I listened to last year at DroidCon Italy where they were actually kind of going through a breakdown of the experience they had in updating an application and you know time and again they made wrong decisions because they didn't have access to their customer to be able to understand you know what the actual customer was and what those workflows that they were going through and just kind of reiterating that idea so I really find that helpful um, and, and also just talking about the situational disabilities um, I've been looking at cars a little bit lately and you know I'm fascinated by Tesla's and you know the the latest model they have you know a whole touch screen that you're supposed to interface with and all i think of is today in the winter i live in chicago it's very cold i'm always wearing my gloves you know is this interface going to even work for me you know because i think when i have my phone and i'm in my car i don't have an an apple iphone with face id so Normally I do my fingerprint. I can't do that with my glove on. I can't actually even type in my password with my glove on. And it's a very poor experience for me. And thinking of being in a car and trying to interface with my car while I'm driving, you know, it's just, you know, it, like you said, situational disabilities. And, you know, is a car company based in California thinking of what I'm experiencing in a Midwest <laughs> winter? Uh, hopefully, um, but really, really interesting. Uh, and I, yeah. And then you've also lost the tactile interface there as well. I'm not a big fan of car interfaces at all. Um, as a technical person, I have battled with connecting my Bluetooth phone to a rental car. You know, Ford are the worst for this. Uh, you know, it can take 20 minutes parked outside Avis trying to connect my phone to the car. You know, someone needs to revolutionize that whole industry. But to your point, a touchscreen interface there is difficult it's difficult there's no tactile interface the gloves may not work i actually had to buy a special pair of gloves with a you know a capacitive fingertip in order to be able to interface with a phone with gloves on that's not a great experience no, i had a product like that really. i had a similar experience um last week um a colleague picked me up and he had a new um screen share um car dashboard and he put in his phone he connected it up and it showed the sat-nav on the screen. But halfway through the journey, the system totally crashed. Um, and we didn't know where we had to turn off on the motorway. We missed the junction and we carried on. And it was the phone that had crashed, connected to the system. 
and the whole interface well, it went down. down the car as well. No, the car carried on driving, but the screen was there. <laughs> um, but um, it's really interesting. I don't think the developer probably thought, he probably thought, what a great idea this is, similar to your whole dashboard. Um, personally, I prefer a, a, um, a knob that you can turn and it yeah. goes up and down and your radio is nice and done and you don't mess yeah. around. You so. can do that without taking your eyes off the oh, road. Yeah, but right. reaching around to a screen, as you said, James, with no tactile interface, it's, yeah, it's the, a challenge. The, the iDrive on a BMW, is it iDrive? Yeah, so yeah, called, yeah. Isn't it right? You know, with the knob in the middle mm-hmm. there that you can interact with. Yeah, that's because, you know, you need to. You, you sure. probably got one, hopefully you've got at least one hand on the wheel, right? Or not driving at all. <laughs> you're stationary while you're interacting yeah. with it, right? Yeah. The way you sure. approach that. I know one other thing I've heard you talk about is even just the concept of people who don't see colors as well and color blindness. I know my son really has a difficult time picking out reds and other colors. How, how many people are colorblind and what type of impact does this have on the, on the kind of user interface design? Right. It, it's a lot of people. I can't remember the exact number. It's, it, it's something along the lines of a, a, um, 1 in 11 or 1 in 17 or something like that. Males. Generally, it's males. It's something genetic to do with the number of cones that they have in their retinas. So there are obviously some females that are colorblind, but majority males. So your son is is obviously part of that. Um, yeah. So colorblindness is is difficult. There's, you know, a lot of people will use red as a as an example of how to show when to stop. Redundancy should always be used here, because so many of your users. I mean, that's not you know, 11, 17, whichever one it is. There's not a, that's not, it, it, your, your user base is hopefully going to be bigger than that. So at least one of your users is going to be colorblind. And so if all you do is say, create a red box around a, a, a label or, a, or an input field to say that something went wrong, one of your users, if there's only a few, is, is not going to see that, right? So use text to back that up not only put the red border, because that is a really helpful cue for most people, but for those who can't see that or, or may not be able to see that, um, just say some, some, simply, you know, the password you entered was incorrect. Mm-hmm. You know, a simple text cue backs it up for everyone, but is in, imperative for that person that can't see it at all. Yeah, I guess it's the same with like left and right hand users. Probably the guy who designs it, if he's right-handed, designs it for him. He needs to make sure he does it for uh, the opposite user as well. Um, uh, yeah, and, and that also goes for, you know, if you're in countries that read from right to left instead of left to right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. that's important to okay. remember. So we've been talking around user design and user um, experience. Are there any um, online tools or materials that you'd recommend to look at? Yeah, um, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges that we've, we've faced and, and we believe we've overcome now is actually how do you, how do you take a really nice design that is going to you know, help some, someone have, you know, create a great user experience and hand that off to a developer. How do you, how do you enable the developer to, to realize that design? Um, and you know, we've adapted our workflow um, to use a number of tools. The tool we use for doing our designs is a tool called SketchUp, um, which is, which is kind of like Adobe Illustrator, but honed for creating user interfaces. Uh, and it's a great tool, you know, very cost-effective, really quick to learn um, and it works very well for us. That has a plugin in it um, called Craft that exports directly into another um, tool chain we use called Envision App, uh, which is a, an online cloud-based tool, envisionapp.com, which is 
Um, first of all, a prototyping tool, digital prototyping tool. So it takes those, those interfaces that we've designed, stay, stitches them together. You can either just click through them or you can actually create hotspots and make it feel like that's an actual working application, which you can then give directly to a customer or a user or a stakeholder and say, hey, check this out. It's not 100%. It definitely feels like a prototype, you know, but, um, which is good. You want people to think that it's a prototype. But it enables them to click through it and we'll really feel for it. They can then type comments directly in there. You know, hey, you've got a spelling mistake here, simple ones. Or this isn't working for me. I didn't know where to go. Right? You, know, you can add those comments in there so it becomes a collaboration tool at that point between you, your stakeholders, your users, etc. It's then got an, an, a really, really useful phase where once you're happy with you know, that point, you can then hit a button and it opens it up into a part of the tool called Inspect, which provides developers with everything from sizes of elements to color references you know in RGB uh, in hex values but um, but also um, it will if you've set it up as an Android application design for example it will actually give you Android code that you can just grab and drop straight into your project you might have to do some modification but it will give you a really good framework same for HTML and CSS um, and, uh, and it will also give you access to all of the assets in whatever format you need, so in, in um, high density, in, uh, um, in ping format, in SVGs, it doesn't matter you know, what it is, it's available there for you. You just grab them as a developer, download them, and they're available for you to use in your, in your code. Um, so it's a great way of handing off from designer to developer. And then again, because it's part of the same tool, you can paste comments, send it back to the designer, they can make some modifications maybe they didn't you know expose a, a frame correctly or something and so that can be then you know, re-exported and become available to the developer and um, the name of that again was sketch sketch is the design tool and then envisionapp.com uh, with craft which is supplied by envision as the link between the two there are other tools you know uh, Axia is uh, is another tool for prototyping um, it's not one that I prefer. I prefer Envision App. Um, and Zeppelin is another example of another tool like Inspect. We like Envision App because it's all one and it has that great flow and that tool chain between it all. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have a uh, intentionally create a, a, a tight team between the designer and the front end developer and then create a really nice, tight, um, and neat interface both architecturally and uh, literally in terms of people between the front and the back end. So we separate that out. So we have back end developers and we have front end developers and we, we separate that out. And, um, and so what's nice about that is it means that you can actually take away the front end and completely redesign it without affecting the back end. You can also have a nice um, test driven development foot part in there. You can test drive into the, into the front end. You can test drive into the back end into you know, this nice interface. That's the best practice that we like to use. And then uh, finally, um, we have our Zebra design system, which is a, a collection of, uh, of icons, of typefaces, of best practices, um, all based on you know, what I described earlier as a situational disabilities uh, that we are making available to all of, our, all of our partners, all of our customers, and to anyone that wants to make use of them. We've spent the time designing and developing these, testing them, honing them for our, our users across the board, 
and we think it's a wonderful thing to share with our, our, our developer community. So I, I think uh, Dan and Mark, you agreed that you would put links to these on, uh, on the podcast. That's yeah. right, yeah. yes. Cool. So and I think once we get those as well, we can also promote them through the Zebra Developer Portal at developer.zebra.com so we can link over to those sites as well to help people find them. Perfect. I should say they're, they're beta at, the at this time, um, but they will be at some point this year going uh, out of beta and becoming full production. But they're a continuous development anyway. So we've definitely uh, um, welcome feedback and, uh, and that will go into the product uh, and, the, and the tool as we move it forward. Yeah. Oh, thanks, James. I think we saw it at Forum um, last year that the, the UI session was really, really well attended and people were really interested. So as we move forward, over the next months and uh, we think about App Forum in uh, 2019, this is something we really want to put a, a focus and a, and a track around to make sure if there's specific areas people want to try and um, have a go on. Um, so we look forward to collaborating with you uh, on that. Awesome. Excellent. So James, thank you so much for joining us. This was really helpful. And uh, we just want to thank all of our listeners for listening and tuning in. So thank you. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.